Let's go ahead and pray again. Gracious God, we've come to behold you, to worship you, to adore you, to grow in you, to love you more. So Lord, please, by, by, by your grace and your mercy, uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We are covering 23 verses today, which of all, yeah, of all, all my normals, wow, okay, all right. <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to be starting in verse one, but you know those times when you tell someone something and they just, they just don't get it? And it's not a problem with your delivery. It's not a problem with the circumstance. Like, you know, when you think a joke is really funny or a situation is really funny and then you try to tell someone and they just look at you like you're an idiot, right? It's not that you told it wrong. It's that they just didn't get it. Or maybe it was a touching story and they don't shed a tear or they're just completely unimpacted. Or maybe it was for something simple like how to put a drywall anchor in, Carl. Uh, and, and then the guy, the guy that does it does it wrong and has to patch the job. Um, we, we all have experiences like that, where, where something is really simple and easy to us, or something is funny, something, something is touching, and when we try to share it, it just, it just doesn't click in the other person. So what about those times that you share the gospel with someone and it doesn't take root? Because that's really, really something similar as I fiddle with things. Sorry, this is driving me absolutely nuts. I can hear it bumping every time I touch it. Um, so so I, I can think of two similar experiences. Now, I, I, am, I, I do apologize. I hate giving examples when I can't tell you where exactly it happened. Um, but, but when I was in Chicago, I had three primary means of talking with people and I, I get them mixed up all the time. So I'm not going to lie and say, I'm sure of which one this was, but, but I, I had these two very similar experiences where, uh, where one was a guy and, and I started chatting with him and, uh, and, and he, he starts telling me that his marriage is failing. He starts telling me about how his wife is leaving him, his kids hate him, um, the stress that, uh, that all the family issues were going on were, were, were really, really causing him to underperform at work and he kept getting in trouble. And, uh, and, and he, he, he even told me why his marriage was failing, what he had done wrong. I mean, this, this man shared with me some of his deepest sorrows, his deepest regrets. Um, and, and, and really started talking about all the things that he'd tried to do to, to save his broken family um, and really how they were all failing. And, and I empathized with him. I mean, it was really sad. And so I listened. Uh, for the first time in my life, I was slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, but I really empathized with him. And I, I told him how sorry I was. Um, and I tried to help him find hope beyond just this situation, because that's where he was stuck. He was stuck right there in, in, in the sufferings that he was going through, and rightfully so, they were bad. But, but, I, but I, I, I told him what I regard as good news, the best of news, which is that Jesus died for our sins. He took our punishment for our failings, like what had broken his marriage. Um, and and uh, that Jesus didn't just die like every other person, but he ra rose from the dead, and he's a savior who's never going to leave us or forsake us, unlike his family. But he really didn't think it was good news at all. Um, he couldn't make the connection of that gospel truth uh, 
to his circumstance, to, to his situation, to his life. And if I remember the situation correctly, I think I remember him saying, that sounds like a really nice fairy tale and I'm not interested. Uh, in another situation, which was very similar, it was, it was a lady uh, who was going through something, something that was just about the same, maybe one step worse. Uh, she, she'd failed in her marriage, uh, her husband and kids were leaving her and she'd actually been fired from her job because of her underperformance. And I, I, I empathized with her and I, if I remember correctly, this is when I worked at the bookstore because I, I have in my mind exactly where I stood and talked to her but I'm really just not sure it's right. But, um, but I gave her the same gospel truths, almost the exact same way and she, she, she did find hope. Um, I bought her a Bible, because even though I worked in a Bible bookstore, we weren't allowed to give out Bibles. We had to, we had to purchase Bibles. Uh, so I bought her a Bible. I prayed with her. I suggested a solid church for her to attend, and she went. And the gospel took root. The gospel took root in her circumstance and in her situation. So what's the difference? How do you account for, for, for in one case, the person basically calls me uh, Aesop, uh, and that I'm making fables, and then, and, then, and then the other person breaks down and says, yeah, that sounds like a God I want. What's the difference? It wasn't, it wasn't in their gender, it's, it's not a difference in me, or in my delivery, or even the location. It, it doesn't even matter which of these two situations happened first. What's the difference? Well, today we're gonna hear some, some hard words of Jesus where he gives an illustration of what really the difference is, and, and he's gonna, gonna tell us some other ways that people respond to the good news of his kingdom, and they're not, they're not great. They, they're, they're hard words. But he's also going to encourage us uh, in, in, a, in a roundabout way to maybe take an attitude about evangelism that we may not already have. So let's, let's read. Like I said, we're covering 23 verses. Um, so I'm going to try and, try and read semi-quick. Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out, of, went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. 
for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is, this is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. So real quick, I, I, I want us to consider the function of parables. Because apparently this has been a big deal in church history. And, and you, I don't know how long y'all have been Christians, but, uh, but I, I don't think it's several centuries. I don't, I don't think there's many in here who have fit that gamut. So, um, uh, so, so, so why did Jesus speak in parables? Uh, in church history, Christians have often struggled to understand parables. It's actually a Greek word. It's parabole. There you go. Now you know a Greek word. Uh, there's been two primary interpretive methods for understanding Jesus' parables. One is that they are allegorical, which means that they, they, they essentially have a deeper or a secret meaning uh, that can really only be ascertained by, by deep contemplation, meditation, repetitive reading, um, a pure heart, Sometimes chanting or, 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 or just, you know, rereading it over and over and over and over again. Um, sometimes even people who hold the view of the allegory of scripture uh, will, will treat the Bible like a code that needs to be decoded. And early commentators of the Bible, not early Christians, but early commentators of the Bible uh, mostly held that position. Um, it, it was especially prevalent in the mystics of the third century, so the latter 200s, and also the medieval periods, uh, with the exception, ironically, of Augustine, which Augustine became famous for, for uh, you know, like, what does the Lord have for you today? You throw your Bible in the air and it lands on a page and you read, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Praise the Lord, the word of the Lord. Like that was, that's what Augustine became famous for. That is a less violent passage than the last time I did that and I'm really happy. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, Augustine became famous for that method, but specifically on parables, most of the time he said, no, the, the meaning is simple. You, you just read it 
And Jesus even interprets parables for us. They're not allegorical. They don't have a secret meaning. You just, just read it for what it says. So go Augustine. And that's the other method of interpretation that was very popular. It wasn't where commentators came in. The commentators of Bible, especially in the early eras of Christian, Christianity, tended to be the ones that uh, were hyper-educated or super mystical. Um, the, the desert fathers of the 270s, especially in Egypt, they, they, they were very, very allegorical with their interpretation of Scripture. Sometimes kind of nailing it right on the head, but other times it's like they, they were playing in a different court. Um, so a parable is, to translate the word parable, parabole, means a short story with a meaning. There you go. That's it. It's kind of like a proverb with an illustration attached. It's a piece of wisdom. That's the Greek word for it. So a parable should be interpreted more not as something that, that thinks that the point is obscure, but that the point is clear. So, uh, look at verse 11 with me. Jesus explains his purpose for using parables like this. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. So why did Jesus use parables? He used parables so that he could instruct his disciples but confuse those who remained on the outside. For this people's heart has grown dull, Isaiah wrote, of, of people, the people in the crowds. Jesus says, this is them fulfilling it. Their heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and turn, and God would heal them. So here's Jesus intentionally hiding truth from these crowds that have come up to him. And you think about this scene. If, if we remember back in chapter 12, it was controversy after controversy after controversy. And so Jesus leaves, we read in verse 1, he re leaves the, the, uh, the house that he was staying at, and people are following him, and so much so that he has to sit in a boat to be able to instruct him. Like, think of how many people, like, beaches tend to go up, like the sand gets blown against, uh, blown against the wind, and usually, usually the ground will go up a, hill a little bit when you have an outcrop of water. So there's all these people in front of Jesus. Jesus is sitting out on a boat, uh, and he's instructing them. So he's giving these instructions. He's giving these little stories, and he wants his disciples to know what they're about. But he wants, he wants those who just want to remain on the fringe, that don't really want to hear about it, that don't really want to come and question Jesus, what does this mean? He, he's letting them remain condemned. But even in that condemnation, we can't miss the encouragement that Jesus has toward his disciples. Now, most of you have probably, have, have probably confessed that you, you love Jesus, you want to serve him, you want to be his disciple. So when Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Friends, that's you. It was specifically to the apostles, to his disciples. But guess what? 
The apostles, in a massive act of mercy, contained what Jesus said for your benefit. So those words are to you too. So the parables of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the word of God, for somebody who really wants to know it, it exists to know it, to study it, to love it, to see God and love him. That's why the Bible exists. It was, it was, it was retained and, and, and protected by God for your benefit. And I could go into the fact that this book is thousands of years old, and it, it should not be existent today with all the crazy things that have happened to all the fragments and, and, and documents that this has. But I'm not going to go down that route. I just want you to know that to hear and understand what God has said is a blessed gift. It's, it's a wonderful thing. We should be filled with delight if we want to be God's disciple and we read this and we know it. Now to the actual parable. Notice in verse 3 where Jesus says, a sower went out to sow. The guy had one job. <laughs> he was a sower. And guess what he did? His job. He sowed. What a wonderful thing in our world where people don't even want to work. That's just, that's just a lovely, lovely fact. So what is this person sowing? They're sowing seed. They're going out in a field, right? They're, they're, uh, at the time, usually people would own an outcrop of land and you'd walk around with grain seed and you'd just throw it wherever you could. Or maybe you had to have an ox plow it um, and then you threw it wherever it would. But you, you couldn't you couldn't till soil like we recognize today. They still had methodology for being able to do it, but certain things couldn't grow even though it looked like good soil. So the sower goes out, he does his job, he sows the seed, he's just sowing it everywhere, and it falls in various places. But what is, he, what, what is this illustration about? Well, verse 19, it, we're told when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so that's always sowing. He's sowing the word of the kingdom. That's how we need to think about it. And friends, that's you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're supposed to be going out, sowing the word of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Do you know that that's your responsibility? If you are a Christian, you are meant to be a sower. Sowing the word of the kingdom. Paul put it as a really good quandary in Romans 10. He said, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how, will, how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to, are to hear without someone preaching? Your friends, your neighbors, they don't magically come to Christ because you've waved at them or because, because you showed up one day and decided to, to help them plant some plants. They're only going to hear of whom is the, the redeemer of mankind when they hear of what Jesus has done. We're supposed to bring the good news of Christ's kingdom to the ears of people. So most of us know that. I don't know how many of us actually do that 
It's really hard. I feel like the one weird guy at the park when I take my kids to the park and people come up and I, you know, like I, I try to break the ice as, as uh, Arlene commented earlier, usually I'll, I'll say, hey, can I talk to you about what I think is some really good news? And, uh, and mo most of the time when I mention Jesus, like somebody, somebody will say like, oh, are you a Christian? And I say, no, it's worse, I'm a pastor. So, uh, <laughs> so I, 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 I try to do it everywhere I go. I'm just trying to sow seed that, that while that's all of our duty, I know for a fact, thinking on my life as a Christian, I didn't always do that. And I miss lots of opportunities. Always do. We're always going to, but most of us are afraid to evangelize because we're really afraid of being rejected. We're, we're, we're afraid of, of when we say it, when we tell somebody the gospel, they, they, they shake us off, they call us nuts. Um, they, they, they say that we're telling them fairy tales. So how can we be sure that people are gonna receive the word? A short answer, we can't. Isn't that good news? There's your, there's your gospel news for the day. So in the parable, we're, we're treated with four sorts of people, four soils, right? We've got the path in, in verse 4, the rocky ground in verse 5, some thorns, verse 7, and good soil in verse 8. Um, you heard it all, but just to recap, the results of the seed on the path is that it's snatched away by birds. And Jesus explains that in verse 19 as, as it not being understood, Satan coming in, snatching away the seed before it can take root in the heart. That's like the man I met. Listened to all of his problems, told him I'd be praying for him, gave him a gospel truth. I get insulted and he walks off. Unlike on the path, the seed sown on the rocky ground does take root, but the soil is apparently very shallow. It has rocks underneath. Maybe they tilled the soil, but you know it's just not quite deep enough. So it springs up quickly, but then it gets burned by the scorching sun. So this is the person that appears to receive the gospel, but as soon as it gets hard to be a Christian, persecution, trials, tribulations, sufferings, uh, once they come up, they abandon it. They, uh, they, they renounce their faith. They fall away. They're done with Christianity. It's not working or it's not worth it. One of the two. And what gets sowed among thorns uh, also seems to sprout up. But unfortunately, the overbearing thorns, they come up with it. They choke it out. Uh, they don't allow the, the plant to grow. And Christ explains that in verse 22 as where the worldly cares and desire of riches prove the seed unfruitful. Those three are awful. The first one doesn't really bother me that much. Like when the, when, when the guy told me, I think you're spitting fairy tales or whatever he said to me, it, it, it was like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'll be praying for you. It, 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 didn't, it didn't cut that deep. I really cared for the guy. I hoped that he would repent. Um, but but, but the, especially the, the rocky ground and the thorns, that hurts. Have you ever really cared for someone? You, you knew they were a Christian, right? They had fruit galore. They were, they were like a, a, a wonderful apple tree that's seasoned and they have fruit after fruit after fruit. But then all of a sudden something happens and they implode or they explode depending on how disastrous their, their fall is. 
Because I've had people like that. I've had, I mean, I've had people where names are coming to mind, where I, I am filled with regret or lament or sadness or sorrow of somebody that I considered a brother or sister in Christ, and they are not. They are not. Whatever took root wasn't the gospel. It was thorns or rocks that ruined the effect of the gospel in their lives. The, the rocky soil and the thorns, man, these are the people that, as far as we can tell, deeply love God until they don't. As quickly as they appeared on their radars, as quickly as we loved and, and delighted in them as, as, as family, they show themselves to be more concerned about things other than Christ. But then there's the last soil, the good soil. The soil that I hope is all of you. It receives the seed, it takes root, it grows up, it produces more sprouts, more plants, yields something useful. It bears fruit, but not for itself, because what fruit tree do you know that eats itself? That doesn't happen. Instead, it, can, it, it continues producing more and more and more, and, and people, are, people benefit from it. If we call ourselves Christians, this is who we should be. We should be producing more and more. More and more uh, people that love God. More and more people that, that hear the gospel. Um, if, if we're good soil, if the, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus has taken root, then we should be producing a greater yield. So why are we not often? We should naturally be those who spread, who sprout up more and more plants of our ilk, of our style. And notice, just as an encouragement, notice the diminishing amounts that Jesus affirms. You know, a hundredfold, 60, and then 30. And what Jesus is saying there is the amount of your replication is not nearly as important as the fact that you are replicating. Our job is to sow the seed, but our job is not to make it grow. In fact, the original title of this sermon, which was really bad, was Ours to Sow and Not to Make Grow. Uh, but I thought, you know, that was too Baptist. That was too rhymey, so I just changed it. Uh, so, so there's three things I want us to learn uh, from this parable. Uh, number one, we, and well, not just the parable, but also his explanation. Number one, we should realize that there are some whom God doesn't, doesn't illumine the truth to. And that really hurts. That should hurt us. There's, there's some who hear these words and they, you know, whatever. There's some who we, who we try to, but it's like seed sown on a path. They don't care. They're not going to open the Bible. They're not going to read Jesus' explanation. They're not going to go to Jesus after he brings the boat in and say, can you explain the meaning to that? I, I really didn't understand it. There are people whom God does not reveal the truth to. But our job is still to sow on that path. Number two, we should realize that the sower is not blamed for sowing on bad soil. That's the good news. 
That is the good news. If you have if you have sown the seed of the gospel to a to a thousand people in the last year, well, last year that wouldn't happen. Uh, you weren't allowed to go outside. <laughs> Let's say the last ten years, right? So in the last ten years, if you've if you've given the gospel to a thousand people and you have had nobody turn to you, not your fault. Christ does not fault the sower for sowing on the path. The guy, the guy that resisted the gospel in the beginning of my sermon, right? I don't bear the blame for him not accepting it. I didn't need to grab him under my arm and give him a noogie and, and say, say Jesus, say Jesus, say Jesus. That was not my job. So when he rejected it, I can shake the dust off my feet, but continue praying for him, caring for him. We are commanded to preach the gospel. That's why I say we're all supposed to be sowers. Mark 16, 15, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Then also back in Romans 10, verses 14 to 15. Um, and often we wonder if our evangelism is in vain, but it never is. If your responsibility is to sow the seed, your evangelism is never in vain. It's God who gives the growth. We should then, as the last and final thing, we should realize that the sower would only be blamed if he didn't do his job. If you had one job and you failed to do it, guess what? You're now a meme. You had one job, man. There's only like 10 people in here that know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> if somebody has a job and they don't do it, they should be fired. So the sower would only be blamed if the sower did not sow the seed. You are to sow the seed of the gospel. You are not responsible for the soil you throw it on. You are not responsible for how it's received. You are not responsible for, for the person that throws the Bible that you gave them in your face. Because good news, now you still have a Bible to give someone else. But, but, but you are not responsible for that person. You are just responsible to do it. Jesus doesn't say that, that there's a good soil that produces, you know, 160, 30, none. He says 130, 60. 160, 30. The, the point is that we will reproduce. If we are sowing seed, we will reap or we will see growth. So, friends, church, saints, sow the seed of the gospel. Do it. Try it. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be terrible. You're going to fumble over your words. You're probably going to sound like me, an idiot in a pulpit, just spouting things. Or you're just gonna you're just gonna you're just gonna try and fail and fail and fail. But friends, if you are sowing the seed of the gospel, there's gonna be someone that you are telling the gospel to that even though you can't even think of the right words to say, they actually delight in it and they turn. I promise. I promise. Do your work as sowers, saints. Do not grow discouraged. Your ineffectivity is not in question. The type of soil, not your problem. But you've all been given the seed of the gospel. You're not just to carry it around like a gun in a holster. You're supposed to draw it. 
and sow it. You're supposed to dump it out. You're supposed to spread it across all the types of soil, friends. Gracious God, it's good to be reminded that we're to sow the seed of your gospel, that we are to, um, that, we're, that we have one job and we're meant to do it. I'm grateful that it's not my fault when somebody doesn't, doesn't accept your word, that uh, I don't have to rely on manipulative tactics, that I don't have to pretend that it's my, daughty, my, my duty to keep tilling the soil and, and making, making it happen, because I can't. One person plants, another waters, and you cause the growth. So God, encourage us today to go sow the seed of your gospel, I'm grateful for our VBS this last week that we got to remind kids of the, the goodness of, of you and, and have, have some fun with them and, and, uh, and get to do crafts that remind us of, of various aspects of your truth. I'm grateful that we got to give the gospel to kids, even if they've heard it a thousand times, Lord. The gospel is not just for, for non-Christians, it's for believers also. So, Lord, I, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that we got to sow the seed in that manner. But also encourage us outside of the walls of our church building to continue sowing the seed, to continue declaring the, the, the wonders of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.